0: Welcome to the Wise Roots podcast. My name is Hugo Menard, and my guest today is Mark Fox. He's the founder and CEO of Rezona Health and the inventor of VIBE, the world's only pocket pulsed electromagnetic field device, which is PEMF, uh, which helps with pain, PTSD, anxiety, sleep, ADD, ADHD, and more without needing drugs or doctor's visits. He is an entrepreneur, a scientist, engineer, author, creative thinking consultant, crop formation researcher, and former space shuttle chief engineer. He's been a hot air balloonist for 35 years and even built his own airplane. So welcome, Mark, thank you for being here.
1: Thank you so much for having me, I appreciate it.
0: So I was really fascinated looking into uh, this device uh, th- that you have. Can you tell me about how it began? How does one even get into creating a device like this?
1: Yeah, it was uh, about twenty years ago. You see that, my dog.
0: Okay. And just so you know, uh, for people listening up, yeah, that that's a picture of a dog. I only published oh, the uh, okay. audio. Of this. Okay. So picture long. of my dog. Yeah. <laughs>
1: yeah. So about t- twenty years ago, uh, she was at the bottom of the stairs one morning. We we're getting ready to go to work, and she was crying really bad. So we, uh, she couldn't move. So we took her to the vet, and she had um, severe arthritis in her spine. And which is really sad, but I had a a very, really smart forward thinking of uh, veterinarian friend of mine. And he recommended, he goes, Hey, there's this lady that has this magic machine that can reverse arthritis. And she lived in Oregon. I was in Utah at the time. I'm like, okay. So I was I made an appointment to take her up there. And then she got, her name was La Chien, but she got so sick. My real vet goes, don't put her in a car. So that was, That was sad we had to put her down but it's but i it got me interested in what is this magic machine and what it's based on really is um in the early 1900s actually there was lots and lots of electrical stimulation research and stuff going on and what happened in like 1934 is a thing called flexner report came out and it made everything but surgery and drugs kind of illegal you lost your Medical license, the funding for universities got pulled, so there's a ton of this frequency electrical stimulation research that got lost, right? It just got lost in history or was scrapped. So there's one guy that uh, Henry Van Geller had some frequencies that he put out, and then the lady that I was just mentioning, she found found a machine in the back of a a, a chiropractic practice that she bought, and she um. <coughs> It had a little weird card on it, you know, like like a sticky note almost, right? It had 40 hertz inflammation, 116 this, and a machine with some dials and stuff on it. So it was like um, she just started playing with it, right? What is these frequencies? Where they they come from? But there was no real history to it. And then over time, she ended up building recipes over 30-plus years of clinical practice. And then about 8,000 people have been trained on it. I've been trained on it. Um, I'm a rocket scientist, I'm like, yeah, this can't work, right? It's weird frequency stuff, it can't, <laughs> it can't be real. But you start seeing all this evidence that it is. So I started off, um, I kind of got on a mission, it upset me because I could see what it was doing, but it was in a clinical environment and it was expensive. Right, so there's these PEMF mats that are out there, like Beamer mats have been around a long time, but they're $5,000. Some of these clinical devices are twenty, thirty thousand dollars $30,000. i am like, there's gotta be a way to make a, a home device, consumer device that's affordable. So I very, very naively, because I'm not an electrical engineer, I'm, chemical engineer is my undergraduate, but it was like, I started off naively with a little circuit board, and i just said put a battery on it with a bluetooth chip and an amplifier and it should work well like caught on fire and it was horrible and i had four different engineers i went through so what i figured out that i think is a little novel is i figured out and i don't play any music which i hate myself for that because i wish i did but i don't play any music but i ended up f- taking a music synthesizer and writing the frequencies and the recipes in there and created mp3 files so they're actually mp3 files so it's really it's like a bluetooth speaker but it doesn't have a speaker so i basically took the coil or took the speaker out so it doesn't make sound and put coils in it so that again was naive thinking this will be easy well there was about an eight foot pile of coils over here in the office for about a year of trying to find the right number of wraps and the diameter of the wire, and and you got all these trade-offs, right? You, the thing only weighs 2.4 ounces, so you got to got to be super light, so you can hang it around your neck and it's comfortable. The battery can't be too big because then it gets heavy, right? So so that that's how I got into it, and again, it took way longer than it should to develop it and stuff. And so I've had the devices out um, since like last November. Mm-hmm. And they're they're doing well. I uh, the predecessor I had to that was uh, it actually was a Bluetooth speaker. It was like looked like an old music cassette because it was something you'd get like in a goodie bag at a conference, and I didn't have to build the mold tooling if I started that way. So I thought that would work, but I've discovered half the world can't figure out how to Bluetooth connect something, and when their phone rings, it disconnects. So so this device is. So, people that are listening, I'm trying to show you. I've tried to make it as idiot-proof as possible. So, you turn it on, and alphabetical order of 55 protocols. You hit play, and you put it in your pocket. That's it.
0: And and for people uh, listening, it basically looks like uh, the original iPod, but a little bit fatter. Uh, it looks in terms of the, the style, which is really cool.
1: It actually looks like the original iPod on purpose because I wanted familiarity and you're not old you're not old enough but you may have seen the reruns the reason the bouncing frequencies look like a star trek tricorder okay yep. that's exactly i designed it that way so people could see it's doing something okay right. and then it it gets a little warm like 105 degrees but that's that's the history of it um like i said there's 55 different protocols uh i've had to concentrate on a few just to get you know clinical data and stuff and ptsd trauma has been the the, the four things I've concentrated on are PTSD and trauma together, um, anxiety, back pain, and sleep. Now there's fifty other protocols, fifty one, but those are the ones I've concentrated on, and uh have had a lot of success with it uh, with PTSD. I've got like a ninety three percent success rate. So
0: yeah, when I read that, I went, "Wow, that's quite incredible."
1: Um, yeah, it's it, it, go ahead.
0: I was just interested in the mechanics of how does this actually affect the body like what's going on there what's your best understanding of that
1: the best understanding of that is it's pretty common knowledge that your whole body is electrical which back to what I was saying earlier is crazy that we only look at you know mechanical and drugs and surgery chemical and mechanical when it is an electrical system right but it's well fairly well known that your cells in your body have an electrical charge on them and when they get run down you get sick so as you get older or it right. So step one is it's recharging your cells batteries. So it's like like a drug that's out there. No drug cures anything. You know that. It just allows you to pass time so your body can live through and fix itself. Right. So it charges your cells batteries. We're pretty confident of that. And there's data where ATP, which is the main fuel that your cells use for food, mm-hmm. it can increase ATP up to four to five hundred percent. So that's, that's the two things that we, we know, um, or we're pretty certain that we know, and I'm confident that it resonates with the water in your body. Think of like throwing a pebble in a pond is the energy starts where the device is at, but it goes through the water in your body because I believe that for two reasons, one, it doesn't work that well if you're not hydrated. So whenever somebody tells me, ah, it didn't work for me, which is rare, I'll say well, it's one of two things, or probably both. One, you didn't use it, okay? You used it once and stuck it on the shelf. Or two, you weren't hydrated. So, and this is one of my favorite comments from a guy. It's like, I go, are you sure you're hydrated? He goes, I'm plenty hydrated, Mark. I go, how much water do you drink a day? He goes, I don't drink water. I go, so why do you think you're hydrated? This was his answer. He go, I had a protein drink last week. Is what he told me I go, I go, so no dude it's not gonna work <laughs> so it still works if you're not hydrated I, I have a customer i just talked to today with pro he's 77 years old with prostate problems so he can't drink a lot of water but he's mm-hmm. and he's super skeptical and he's like yeah this thing can't work but it's actually working for me so i'm like "Well, yeah keep using it so that's that's the simple way i think it works and if i If I talk to doctors about it, they they are the ones that will latch on to, what's the mechanism of action? Tell me exactly how it works. And this is usually where we get in a fight because I'll go, "Uh, you don't know how aspirin works. Okay, you have theory on it. You don't know how any drug works. You have a theory on it, but you don't, you haven't proven that, right? And they go, yeah, we have. No, you you think it's doing synapses or blocking signals or electrical, right? But you haven't proven that. And then I usually, lose every doctor with this comment i go okay so everyone is heated a slice of pizza in a microwave oven right Mm -hmm. so how does it eat it how does that work and then people go oh that's a trick question so they go um the microwave bounces around it does some kind of friction i go yeah the theory is you're hitting it with energy that is a rotational vibration of a water molecule so it's spinning on itself and causing friction hugo nobody in the world has ever videoed or taking a picture of a spinning water molecule so we don't know if that's how it really works but it's the only theory you got so you go with that right so and usually yeah. the doc- doctors will go what does a pizza got to do with drugs i'm like well okay if you didn't get that bridge i'm sorry but it's just that like you don't know exactly how it works so i try to my number one goal if you go is to make sure i don't hurt anybody so i spent forever on energy levels and research on that and two is i don't ever want to sell voodoo right and and just because it's fresh in my mind cuz i had 3 of them today the facebook haters they're horrible they are just a horrible yeah. attacking me constantly like you should die one guy told me last week i'm worse than hitler right and i'm like oh god i've given a ton of these devices away to troops for free and stuff and i'm like i'm trying you know i'm not tr- i don't want anyone in the world to ever buy one of these and not have it work for them and i keep their money never right That's- and like one guy just told me, you, I want double blind study, this, that for all 55 protocols. I'm like, leave me, I don't have billions of dollars to do that, I've done pilot studies, right? And I've done research and statistically significant, but I'm not big farmer, I don't have millions of dollars to go do super intense studies. What I can go with is what people tell me, right? Is that this helped me a lot, I feel a lot better. Um, so, So that's it, that's, and I'm trying to do more you know, the, the gold standard still is to look at a chart when you walk in for pain, right? And you go in the doctor's office, one to a 10. The Guys, 10 is a big smiley or frowny face crying, right? And you go, I'm an eight, and then i left with a two, right? And, and so any therapy, that's really what you do with anxiety, depression, pain. But things like, um, like Fitbits, again, I'll, I'll explain since for people listening, like uh, Inspire 3 Fitbit, Mm-hmm. Only it's only $79, and that measures stress, sleep, and heart rate variability. And so the one thing for PTSD and trauma is that and it's not intuitive if you haven't studied this, you want your heart rate very vari- not your heart rate, your heart rate variability to increase. That makes you more healthy because you're more responsive to the fight or flight system. So that is the number one biomarker that the Veterans Administration and other studies have found is if you can make heart rate variability increase with whatever the, inter- whether it's this device or a dog or going to the beach or whatever, yeah. that is that is in the direction of goodness. So mm-hmm. some people, i tell them, go buy this $80 thing and, and see if that happens for you, if it helps and you can objectively measure it, right? Yeah.
0: And also, I just want to say uh, for people listening, when I was doing a bit of research on this, one thing I really loved was you just get the device and then it works. There's no subscription or extra thing on top of that. And I was like, oh, that's really integral. So I just want to commend you for that. Well, I started
1: off off the evil way, okay? (laughs) So every, every company wants a subscription service because it's recurring revenue that you can predict, right? And I built a whole year and a half system to do that. And I'm like, you know what? Every company likes that. Every customer hates it. I hate it. When I buy a sub- year subscription, I put it on my calendar a year from today to cancel it if I'm not using it. Right. So, yeah, no subscriptions, no monthly fees. Everyone goes. What app do you download? I don't want any app. Said nothing to do with anything. You just put it in your pocket and forget about it. Yeah.
0: And because you, you know you've got so many different protocols on that, and I had a blast reading through the different ones. That there are some that really fun. Um what's the difference between you know you're talking about how for PTSD you're looking to increase heart rate variability what's the difference in terms of the programming for that compared to anxiety or uh, someone who's wanting to clear their brain fog or something like that
1: so a lot of PEMF devices and mats and stuff that are out there they'll have a couple frequencies like like there are 7.83 is one that's common what this is is it's it's a symphony of frequency pairs. So the way to think about it is A, frequency A is what's wrong and B is where is it? So what it's running is it's mixing two pairs together, but it's changing on average about every one to four minutes. So it's going. It, it, it's a complicated recipe. For example, PTSD is a full body ailment. It's in every part of your brain. It's in every organ. It's in your skin. So, for that particular one, it's 76 frequency pairs that it goes through over two hours. The average protocol is about 45 minutes. Sleep's not near as complicated. It's probably like two dozen frequency pairs, but it's all based off the original clinical trial and error that this stuff worked. So, yeah, I didn't make, I made some of them up. Okay. The riskiest one I did. All right, is PMS, right? So it's like I made up the PMS one and I'm I'm not a doctor. We know that I'm a rocket scientist, but here's what's happening now is almost every day, somebody, I'll get an email. Do you have a protocol for AMCRTCK? And you go, what is that acronym? So you go Google it, which scares you to death, right? And you go Google it and you go, how many of those are there? Because you don't (laughs) like any of the pictures you see. And it's like, okay, then I have to like read the base problem? Is it inflammation? Okay. So like this guy with the prostate problem, I don't have a prostate protocol, but it's like run general inflammation, see if it helps. And it did. I had a lady call me and go, I, every other week, my arms itch so bad. I have to force myself not to scratch myself. So I'm bleeding. Do you have one of those? Sounds like an allergy. So try general inflammation and allergy, right? So And in most cases, that's working. The um, coolest story I have and the freakiest one still is a 17-year-old girl on a Zoom call like this said, Mark, um, I've never had a date in my life because I can't. I have Tourette's. And she was a student in my class like a year earlier, my creative thinking class. And I'm like, I knew she had a tick. I could see it, right? And she's like, so I ran brain balancing just for the hell of it. And after a week, my Tourette's went away, and I have a date on Saturday night. And I'm like, what? I started <laughs> crying. I'm like, I, I didn't know it could do that, right? So, and of course, it's not going to be 100% for everybody, but I've got three doctors now that in the last month, told me the same kind of story as I'm using it for MS. I don't have an MS protocol. And they you go, we're getting some really good results. So I'm like, what are you using? Fibromyalgia? because it's a nerve base and they're like, yep, that's exactly what we're using. So Mm -hmm. even if I don't have the protocol, it's like some guesswork in there and brain balancing seems to work for a lot of weird stuff in it. Like if you have concussions and things like that is, so it's not an exact science, like nothing is, but. Yeah,
0: but it it does, uh, I want to say, it does sound um, intelligent to look at the deeper cause rather than trying to have a new protocol for every surface symptom.
1: Yeah, and there's most of the PMF community does not agree with this doctor, but he's one of the self-proclaimed experts out there. He believes nah, the frequencies don't matter as long as it's PMF if you're going to get therapy out of it. And he might have there might be some truth to that. Um, the energies are really, really, really low. So they're everything's under a thousand hertz. So I get asked this question a lot. Is it the same as a rife machine? So and your listeners know what a rife machine is like, no machine is millions of Hertz way way more energy so it's got if you were to plug a wire into it this one's a magnetic field but if you were to plug a wire into it and use it like a tens unit it's a thousand times less energy than a tens unit and people go "Well,
0: I'm, I'm not sure what a 10, ten unit A ten tens
1: unit is a muscle stimulation unit you put little pads on you they're very oh, common. Okay. yeah and you just play like for back pain and Know, that kind of thing, but you can feel a tension. It's you know, it's electrically charging your your muscles and stuff. But it's yeah, it's super, super, super low energy, which you know, being an engineer and stuff you go, Oh, that can't work. You know, the guy I talked to today he goes, It can't possibly work, it's too small. I'm like, well, yeah, but it does. So it's resonating with the water or it's you know, electrical conduct. Like I have my feet right now on a earthing mat, right? A grounding mat, mm-hmm. which Right. That instantaneously takes, you know, puts the ions in your body, neutralizes all the bad, you know, stuff you've got going on where the charges are screwed up. Right. And that happens like instantaneously. But it's it's fun. You go, know? it's it is, it's I'm not I'm not making any money yet. but This is the most fun I've ever had. It is. I mean, as far as work is concerned, I mean, I have a hot air balloon, so that's fun. That's probably my favorite. But this is fun to just work on.
0: Yeah. And I would say it's really just really important because uh, yeah i think a really big shift that is happening and you know i, I get to see it happening is is the shift towards energy uh, in terms of medicine rather than you know the drugs and the surgery um, right and that that really seems to be what uh you know indigenous people yogis uh, have sort of caught on to for so long
1: um and, and... this guy it, it... And this is a thought i had the other day because one of the facebook haters right he puts he goes yeah does it come with a bottle of snake oil and he had md at the back of his name and i go are you really a medical doctor he goes yeah i am so i was like okay have you ever heard of this magical thing called an mri he goes yeah of course i have smart ass i go okay that stands for magnetic resonance imaging now, that's a diagnostic tool this is magnetic resonance therapy device and if you and I butchered this, so I actually one of my very good friends is one of the top radiologists in the world. We did a, a Zoom call a week and a half ago. Um, is like explain how MRI works to me because I'm going to butcher it, but I was pretty close. MRI is the most, and everyone accepts that, right? Everyone, you don't get a picture from the doctor and go, "I don't believe you that that's wrong," right? So everyone accepts an MRI, but it is the most magical, bizarre thing ever. So you, you have protons in your body, they have a north and south pole like a planet Earth, okay, and it's tilted. Mm-hmm. So you put somebody in an MRI, puts a gigantic man- magnetic field on them, it makes all of those hydrogen protons line up parallel. And because of that, they resonate and make its own magnetic field, okay? So now you have your own magnetic field your body's creating in addition to what the machine's doing. Then you hit it with AM radio or FM radio, You hit your body with that, okay? Then you turn the magnets off and the radio off. When everything snaps back to not aligned, it releases energy that you capture with a Fourier transform machine at different time stamps, depending on what you want to see. That is way more (laughs) magic than pressing a button that puts out a magnetic field that may charge your cells, right?
0: I'm just going, how the hell did someone even come up with that? No, that, no. that.
1: I just started looking into that. I wanted to see how was an MRI ever invented? There's, there's no way that it works, but you know, yeah. there's millions of them done every day. And you're like, yeah, okay, yeah. people get it. Like, yeah. And I get the difference there. You're handing somebody a picture, right? So they got some physical proof that said, yeah, okay, it did something. And that's a part of the problem with this is that you don't feel anything. I say that. 2% of the people, 3% of the people will feel something and I don't want to offend anyone now because if they ever tell me they feel something it's I know that they see auras and colors and they feel the energy in the room they are energy sensitive but because it's always those it's always those people right mm-hmm. or but for me it's like I I don't feel I feel the warmth from it but I don't I don't get tingling in my hands or anything and very a few people will because it's stimulating your nerves and your energy and stuff in your body but it's 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 really low energy compared to like an mri is 100 thousand gauss this is like 8 or 9 right, right? Oh, yeah.
0: so, significantly less to say yeah, the least way. yeah um in terms of how long the effects last what have you seen like do you need to always be using it at some point does it sort <clears throat> of seem to mean that a person no longer needs to use it for that particular symptom what have you seen with that
1: what i recommend it's a very good question what i recommended was use it three to four times a week for a month if it doesn't help you by then and you're hydrated it doesn't help you by then it's probably not going to for whatever reason but that's what i've seen i have some people that get a good response immediately sometimes it takes people a week or two to see the response The maintenance kind of thing that you're just asking me is like, do you need to use it forever is, I don't know, I don't have enough data yet. My guess is once you feel better is run it once a week or something. But I tell people, I think your body needs rest. You're putting energy into it with the PMF, take, you know, do it every other day. So your body has some time to take that energy and heal yourself. But I, Hugo, I have people that are addicted to it. I got a friend, he's bought 15 of them to give them friends and family. He's an ex race car driver. He's been, he has four had four concussions. He's been on fire twice. Okay. He was taken eight ambient a night to sleep for like the last 10 years. And he's on no ambient right now. So he's, he's addicted. I tell him quit using all the time. He's, so he buys a couple of them so he can charge one while he's doing the other. Cause he's run arthritis and sleep and back pain and brain fog and it's like, so several people won't listen to me and they get addicted it's like, Mine's not working. Well, okay, charge it because you just used it for six hours and ran the battery down. Which <laughs> is interesting.
0: I'll just say on that point of addiction, I was listening to someone a while back who was talking about how there seem to be some people who just have addictive personalities. And so, what one, uh, I don't know, like a researcher or a therapist did was that he just got the people addicted to meditation. Like if you're going to be addicted to something, at least it's something that is beneficial for you, uh, which I thought, oh, that's that's quite something.
1: What's interesting you just said that is because I have a very hard part of the reason I did this for me. My mind's racing all the time, like most people that can't don't meditate well. It's hard to get into it, right? So th- this newest version, I added five brainwave entrainment uh, frequencies for alpha and theta to yeah. enhance meditation. So while you're meditating, I have no idea if it'll help or not. My logic says it should. So while you're meditating, stick it in your pocket, run one of the, the Theta or Alpha ones and see if it helps get your brain into a deeper and better. And that's actually something brand new I put in there. I don't have any data on that yet, but i a theory, I think that should work.
0: Yeah, oh, wonderful. And do you have any plans or visions of next steps with this or a- any possibilities that aren't uh, yet a reality
1: yeah so let's start with uh, i can't afford the divorce okay so i've been told multiple times concentrate on that device and quit dreaming up new stuff okay so <laughs> but what i believe um is that the frequencies are important it could be pmf which is what the vibe is it could also be light it could be um vibration it could be sound and so i'm experimenting with sound protocols and stuff too um these lights that are in that i have in my ceiling here are um philips smart bulbs right so to your question here's one of my real end goal my real end goal is to say alexa run alzheimers in the kitchen and the person doesn't even know they're getting the therapy okay so uh-huh. I, had a, I had a Facebook hater go, you can't, Mark, you can't give somebody therapy without their consultation, without them agreeing to it. And I go, I can if it's an 87-year-old grandmother, right? And she's, she's getting dementia and stuff. Go run that. So I already wrote the app to go flicker lights, but some genius engineer at Phillips decided when you turn the light switch on, they don't want the light to come on automatically because it's too shocking. So there's like a 100 or 200 millisecond delay. So, if anyone on this call is listening, is a Philips engineer, please call me back because I can take all the existing lights out there and make them a therapeutic device, right? With a simple app. So, we, we already wrote that and then we grab this real fast. So,
0: Man, I'm just thinking that would be amazing. If I'm just thinking it, a, a world in which just the light we use to see is also there to heal, that would be remarkable
1: here's the interesting. so this light i'm showing everyone just a prototype light that i built two or three Mm -hmm. years ago and you know all my friends go you can't do therapy with flickering light no blah i'm like okay well i think you can mit came out with several studies that they found out 40 hertz flickering light at 40 hertz is reversing alzheimer's or the plaque in the brain right so they did it in mice by accident so i called them up and go hey it is 40 hertz but there's a whole lot more going on that i'll just give you for free and they're like how many units you sold you know well, i just started they go well call us back when you get you know, 150 units sold I'm like why would i need to do-? so two weeks ago i talked to the mit lead again and even the smartest guys in the world you go still have tunnel vision right as i go he goes well what frequencies is it and i go it's between one and a thousand hertz he goes well your eyes can't see anything at 800 hertz i'm like right uh, but it still works and you didn't tape the eyes open on the mice you put it in your own report they're running around a box with the light they're not staring at the light so i did not know this till i talked to the radiologist her name is dr lori barr a couple of weeks ago the when i just told you the mri i did not know this that your skin has light receptors that was discovered in year 2000 wow so yes you can see light coming through your whole body, there's skin receptors. So I've been researching that for a week. And yeah, I guess it was discovered in 2000. So that'd be my goal. I've already done stuff with sound. Um, This chair, this chiropractic chair, I'd like to stick it in the chair while I'm sitting here talking to you and just run it with vibration. So the double blind guys, they're all going to attack me. Like, you don't have any proof on that. No, I don't. But anecdotal data and like the MIT guys are like, I think they got a 90 million dollar grant to go do human trials now, right, for flicker right. and light at 40 hertz, but but even an MIT guy that wrote the paper go, ah, that's not going to work over cuz you could see 40 hertz or less your eye can see it. Some people can see 60, but 100 hertz or more the human eye usually can't detect it. But mm-hmm. ah, ah, that's how it's probably getting in there, it's coming through your skin. Right? right. So, which is super cool. Yeah, that's my end goal just You'll be able to say hey Alexa, run this here and it helps
0: wow. well I would, I would love to keep up to date with uh how things gone on, on that front okay um, because that that, that just sounds remarkable um i would like to switch gears a bit and sure. talk a bit about because you also uh do creative thinking consulting what kind of elements are present when you're helping people with creative thinking, problem solving? Uh, what are some of the key aspects there?
1: Yeah, it's it's fairly straightforward. I mean, a few things, but the simplest one is a thing called TRIZ, T-R-I-Z. It's a Russian acronym that stands roughly for the theory of inventive problem solving. So it's used, it was originally used, right, in engineering and, and technical space, and, hopefully I don't offend anyone if they're listening, but most of the people teaching it were Russian PhDs and they're boring as hell. Okay. Just the way that they come apart. So it's like, my belief was kind of like light and some of the other things here is like, it doesn't have to be engineering stuff is these 40 lenses that you look to the the history of it is a Russian scientist in the fifties went and did a bunch. He got a grant from the Russian Navy to go study creativity. What he found out was they looked at originally at 300,000 patents and it's now been many millions, that the solution all fell within 40 categories. So it's called the 40 principles of TRIZ. So the logic being, if I'm trying to solve a problem, I could look at it through this lens, knowing that history has created all these things with that take, right, is looking at it. And so I've done it now for marketing and sales ideas, engineering ideas, how to manage your spouse better, how to work with your kids better, right? And it actually works really well for those personal things and marketing. So for example, lens one is segmentation. You break things into smaller parts, like a Zoom call, right? You may get more effect out of taking a one-hour Zoom and putting it in 30-second snippets on YouTube, right? Because I broke it into pieces, Yeah. okay? Taking out is another one. okay, back to what you said about the iPod. When the first iPod came out, it had no instructions because they took out all the complication. It had a play button, fast forward, volume up and down. And people looked at it and went, yeah. And you plug in the earphones. I get it right now. The opposite of that is a BlackBerry. When they first came out, it has 600,000 buttons. Nobody can figure out how to use that except about 2% of the people that finally get over the crack curve that they can use it. Right. So that's, the opposite of taking stuff out but there's a lot of there's 40 lenses like that um this one guy uh, at the wizard academy in austin a guy named Kerry Mullis, he won the nobel prize for pulmarized chain reaction for pcr which is in every hospital in the world now and um, he goes yep he had never heard of triz and most people that haven't been trained in it which is most people If they're creative, they are unconsciously using one of those lenses and never knew it. So he goes, yeah, that's Mm -hmm. all I ever did is I use lens 13. I do the opposite of what everyone else is doing. So he is a chemist, and he came up with a biological solution, right? And his logic was PCR for people that don't know is it's to simplify. You're trying to take a little piece of DNA and duplicate it so you can get enough of it to test it and do stuff with, right, genes Mm -hmm. and things. So everyone in the world was trying to extract a needle out of a haystack, right? He said, mm-hmm. well, what if I just try to make the needles duplicate themselves until they're as big as the hay? That's all he did. So that won him the Nobel Prize, right? So so that's that's the creative thing. I, I try to do it. Uh, I teach at companies. I do it a thing called Wizard Academy in Austin, Texas, which is one of the coolest places to learn cool stuff faster. It's one to three day classes on communications and marketing and stuff. So I, I teach it there at least once a year. But we tried to make it fun. Right. So it's more videos and clips and entertaining thing to learn the principles. And if you master two or three of them, it'll change your life. You don't need to understand all 40 of them, even though we go through all 40. Right. So that that's what it is. It it was trying to make something fun out of a very useful tool that is Engineering, so I wrote a book called Da Vinci and the Forty Answers, which is I, I still have the PDF and stuff online for free that people can go get. Oh,
0: I'm. Well, uh, I was going to say even if I have to pay, I'm getting that because I, I this sounds really interesting.
1: Yeah, it's it's on print on demand and Amazon, which I, I don't get any of the proceeds. It goes to the Wizard Cab is a nonprofit, so it all goes there. But I think I have the PDF for free anyway. So we. We can put in your notes the link or something if anyone wants to go get it oh, yeah yeah here's a, here's a warning it's a grind okay there's only about a half a dozen people who can make it through all 347 pages but you just skim around and find enough stuff to make it useful
0: yeah but i mean that just sounds like um th- there's so much talk about creativity and innovation and i often get the sense that can we can we try and synthesize it a bit or make it like you're saying make it fun and Uh, practical and usable rather than these either big concepts or like boring keynote presentations. Um, So yeah, you've got me interested on that one.
1: (laughs) As far as synthesizing and stuff, that's exactly his name was Henrik Altshuler probably pronounced it wrong, but he was the Russian guy I mentioned that he went to the library and said, Where's the procedures on creativity? There's gotta be a bunch of books on it. And there wasn't any. So that's what got him interested is to go get a grant and stuff. And then He went and told the Russian president afterwards how he was doing everything wrong because he should be using all his tools and he threw him in jail for a few years.
0: Oh,
1: God. We're not taking it for him.
0: And wait, so how did this guy come up with the 40 things? Did he just interview creative people or what was that? No,
1: he looked at patents. So he just looked at patents and very logically went, which does this fit? He created a category and go, hey, these 12 patents all smell like, Segmentation, right? And these all smell like and he uses pretty equipotentiality is one of them. So he gets pretty nerdy when you're talking about stuff like that. But he's then he went through and he just realized, hey, there's only 40 of them, and I went through 300,000 patents. So this, I to I got use mm. that as the way to look at the world. And you think about what I just said that way. Put on that pair of glasses for an hour, right? And if In an hour, using any one of those lenses, you can come up with a couple hundred ideas. And what I always tell people is come up with a couple hundred, do your logical left brain stuff to figure out what the top three are. Then how do you fail in two weeks? Don't come up with this excuse, it's gonna take eight months and I don't have enough budget, screw that. How do you fail in two weeks? Go in with the thought processes. I'm gonna go test this and I'm definitely gonna fail because some of the time you won't fail. Right. But it gets you off this. The number one reason an idea does not succeed is it never gets started. That's it. That's the answer all the time. People will, nah, it won't work. It's gonna take too long, blah, blah, blah. Go out and just test it. So I do that, you know, I drink my own Kool-Aid. I'm out testing stuff constantly on Facebook ads and Google ads and sweepstakes and try this and all different things. Just trying to see if something works and sticks, right? And I use these lenses all the time. So it's it's fun. We've gotten a lot of good stuff out of uh, people have come through the academy. Have learned. I've some of I won't mention the companies. I was just going to say some of the most creative companies in the world were the hardest ones to teach this class to. Huh? Uh, yeah, huh? they're just like they are locked in their mind. I, yeah. yeah, I won't mention them.
0: Yeah. But well, it, I think it's that thing with creativity where it's it it's the practice of always trying to open and think differently and like there's never an end thing um and i think that people who have achieved a lot creatively might like the achievement would then narrow the focus
1: yeah and it's i you know i've taught this at nasa i've taught this at army air force all those service branches and stuff and it's you know i, I make a joke to the because com- i'll look at the commander whoever the highest ranking guy in the room is i go okay here's what's gonna happen i look him right in the eye i go you're gonna screw this up completely 100 guaranteed it's you and he kind of looks at me like move on now it's you so i videotape them. i go here's i know what's going to happen so the person most senior person will go right somebody says something they'll make a noise or their eyebrows move and i got it on video and you you can see how the whole room just went er, and shut down right because our boss just said that idea or ideas are rolling you get through 30 of them and the boss hasn't said anything. You get to the 30-second one, he goes, that's a great idea. Now he just confirmed the other 31, 30 ideas suck. So everyone else in the room goes, you just told me my idea suck because you didn't say that about mine, right? So there's that whole, you got to kind of coach the senior people in the room. And I have a thing called, and I don't know, not that many people are brave enough to do it because there's wimps, okay? I call it duct tape sessions. So I make the manager wear duct tape on their mouth, okay? Literally duct tape. Now gorilla tape's actually better. Okay. But gorilla tape, and you write this on the board, you say, what what rules are stopping you from doing your job better? And you just let people talk. And you will find that people are there's all these rules that they think is a rule that isn't even a real rule. Okay. It's not even real. I had a a woman, very quiet woman that worked for me once, and all these sessions, she almost never spoke up and she goes well i don't think the tps report and it actually was called a tps report if you ever saw the movie office space used <laughs> TPS reports but it was actually a tps report in rocket world and she goes i don't think you i don't think you even read them that much i'm like what the hell is a tps report and she goes this thing and she's explaining it. i go what idiot asked you to put that report together she goes you did i go when did i ask you to do that she goes like a year and a half ago. I was like, no, I don't even know what she was talking about, right? It's like, okay, so if you do that and ask people, you're gonna find out there's all, you'll find there's rules that make sense, right? They're there for a reason. But if you don't explore that part of the creativity Mm -hmm. is what rules are stopping you from doing your job better and you'll be shocked what you hear, right? Is it, you'll go, why are you doing that? We did this one time at NASA, we had 98 reports that we had to submit to NASA for every launch. Something like a thousand or two thousand copies of each one. So we had two semi trucks every launch that would drive across the country to deliver all these reports, right? Me and that, that other NASA guy were like, there's no way in hell people are reading all that. So let's do this. Let's not send any, none, and see how many people bitch and complain. You know how many it was? Five people five called up and said, where's my report? Oh, i need report number three i said okay so why don't we do and the contract guys lost their minds we're in validation of the contract we're going to get sued because it says in the contract okay well we're trying to save money that's a joint goal here so how about we put everything on a computer send a few paper copies if somebody needs to look it up and print it out we can do that but that, wow yeah, that's yeah. Kind of stuff
0: okay um the, let me this, tell you. Let me
1: tell you another crazy story of the space shuttle on that, because this is just weird. We all live in this digital age. I can send you a picture, take a picture, of anything. Send it on my phone. We have Zoom calls, right? On the shuttle program in the late '80s and early '90s, right, it was like when you had a problem with the hardware and you need to show it to the rest of the world, so that everyone, your customer, could look at it, make a decision. So we we had to take pictures, right? Go in our own photo lab, for, you know, do them in a the tub, right? Make your own photographs. And then we paid. A, this was a person's job description. Almost every day, got on an airplane and flew from Utah to Huntsville, Alabama, or Kennedy Space Center, wherever she needed to go to deliver the pictures. Because you got $1,000 a minute standing around waiting for a decision. If you put it in the mail, it's going to take a week to get there and you can't proceed, right? <laughs> so you have mm-hmm. hardware that's all frozen and stuff. So, that's, that was one of the crazy things we did is pay somebody, it's cheaper, buy a $300 airplane ticket and pander the photographs.
0: Man, the times have <laughs> changed a lot. <laughs>
1: yeah. We're not doing, not, and we actually somehow put people in space, even though you, you know, couldn't do it. you had no digital cameras, you didn't have any of that stuff.
0: Yeah. I mean, that's the thing, isn't the, the saying that on our, our phones have more, um, like they're stronger than the computers that were we'll used to send the first rocket to space or something like that?
1: Oh yeah, not even the first rocket. Your cell phone has more computing power than the entire space shuttle orbiter had. Yeah, it's. I mean, that's that's I, why that's why SpaceX can fly boosters back to the pad is because you have so much processing power that you can rapidly change, you know, they come back with like fins or veins. So anyone that's listening, if you've never seen in real life a SpaceX booster come back to a pad, not on T not on YouTube. You get to see it in real life. It is George Jetson weirdest thing you'll ever see. You've never seen anything move through space that fast. Because it's falling at like Mach 4 or something. It's your eyes can't even process it. It's so weird. It's a the first few times I saw, I was like, there's no way we can actually do that. And of course he missed a few times and wrecked. They got it down now okay.
0: yeah 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 i just think it's it's extraordinary like i'm saying the ones on youtube and it's going like just the fact that it's doable you're like that is <laughs> madness and right.
1: genius it, it is it's it's crazy to watch i mean it's yeah it's if you get so those of you your listeners, I live in Cocoa Beach, Florida, so I'm eight miles, 10 miles from Kennedy Space Center. So if you get a launch where the booster is coming back to the pad, a SpaceX Falcon 9, and it's like sunset, so it's kind of dark dusk, but it's shining on the booster. Mm-hmm. To watch it as it's jetting to steer and turn around, I'm telling people on the beach, I'm like, okay, look at the booster. It's, you know, that big in your eye, but the gas is 50 times bigger than the motor instantaneously. So that means it's because there's no back pressure because it's in space, right? So it, that gas expands so fast, and you just look at it, and it's like that is just hard to fathom that there's no back pressure that anything could move that quick, right? But you watch it turn around, you see it come back, and I think it's like 80,000 feet. It burns once and then it falls again, and then it burns, you know, 5,000 feet above the pad or something. But it's, yeah. it is impressive to see.
0: Yeah. Wow. Um, so one thing I, I really want to ask was space, uh, shuttle challenger, Okay. I that, yeah, yeah, yeah. The inside on that, because uh, yeah, I've heard things about it. What, what's the real deal on that thing?
1: And I'll, I'll filter a little bit of it just so I don't get somebody to attack me, but it, the punchline was yes, the O-rings on the boosters failed. Okay. But. There's a whole lot more that happened before that so the solid rocket boosters um you know they don't do anything till you light them and once you light them they're going right so the boosters have never canceled or postponed a launch before because it's all the main engines on the orbiter they're doing a million things right in the last four seconds so all the sensors see something wrong it shuts it down so so the boosters never delayed a launch before well the launch before Challenger we said you can't launch because the ocean waves are too big and the nasa guy is like won't mention his name but you can go look it up right he goes who came up with that horrible requirement that's stupidest thing I ever heard i'm like we did all of us did because when the boosters landed in the water they're bobbing up and down you have to put a cork in the bottom a five foot diameter cork with a scuba diver so you can pump the water out of it and make it buoyant so that it folds over and lays sideways right Mm -hmm. well one of our one of our divers got seriously hurt because it was bobbing up and down too much. So we um, said, no, there's new launch criteria. You assigned it off. Blah, blah, blah. He was really upset that because most NASA managers like that don't ever want to be in the limelight with the boss. They just want to cruise through their career, right? So he said, what if we just let them sink? Screw it. Don't put the divers there. I'm like, well, you're the customer. It's..." million each is $20 million of the hardware. If you want to throw it away, he goes, yeah, let them sink. So I don't know this for sure, but this is what I believe happened. Some bean counter somewhere in NASA filled out some paperwork that said, hey, this guy scrapped $20 million of the hardware and he only has clearance, you know, or grade level to scrap 5 million. So then now this guy's in front of his bosses in NASA headquarters explaining why he scrapped hardware. That's the launch before Challenger. Mm-hmm. So, when we got the Challenger, we said, I think it's too cold. So, it was the first time ever that NASA said to us, the contractors, prove to me it's not safe. Right? Because he didn't want to postpone another launch. It's like, so then you started getting asked these questions like, have you ever flown anything colder? Yep. Five or six different launches were colder. But, You don't need Richard Feynman to take an O-ring and put it in ice water. Know that something gets cold and it's made out of rubber. It doesn't have as much resiliency, right? So you know Mm -hmm. it's in the direction of badness, okay? At the time, the external tank, the big thing in the middle that holds liquid hydrogen, liquid oxygen, it's like 253 below zero and 423. I'm going to get that wrong, but the hydrogen's coldest. It's like 27 feet diameter it's really thin actually. And when you fill it with something that cold, it's called shrinkage. You can hear it yelling and screaming, right? It goes, "Eh," it makes noise. So it would leak a lot. It would crack and leak a lot. And the number one problem on the program by far, by far was the main engines, the three main engines on the orbiter that Rocketdyne made. There's a big turbine blade that's sitting at 80 degrees in Florida. And it's suddenly spinning at 30,000 miles an hour and it gets hit with liquid cryogen. It actually, Hugo, it makes a metal that doesn't exist on the planet Earth. The thermal shock and the pressure. So to test the metal blade, you have to actually run it on a test stand and take it apart. It changes the crystalline structure of it. So Whoa. The, the blades would always crack a lot. I was at the launch pad the day Challenger happened. And I'm like, all of us that know we're on the program, that we're paying attention, was like, Finally lost the blade, it happened. So it wasn't the blade, it was the O-rings. The O-rings had cryogens pouring on it. And here's how we know this, okay? And people will pass this over because the news did. It was 36 degrees out and windy, but the bottom of the booster was nine degrees on one side and 14 on the other. Now 36 sounds cold to a normal person but people go, oh, it's wind chill. Well, there's no wind chill. Only exists if you have a heartbeat, right? You got to be living. Wind chill doesn't exist for an object made of metal. So the only reason, if you think about, it, 36 degrees is hot compared to nine. So the only reason, only way that could stay at nine is if something was keeping it really cold. And the only thing around there is the liquid intake. So it was all of those things combined. Um, We spent $500 million fixing the O-rings in the booster. The tank guys, Martin Marietta at the time, spent a billion, and Rocketdyne spent two billion fixing the turbine blades. But you never heard about those two in the news, right? Mm -hmm. It just—it was a whole. So yes, the O-rings failed, but there is a whole lot of other factors going on, and things like, you know, won't say his name, but the NASA manager goes, "Is it out of specification for temperature?" And it's a trick question because there was no specification for temperature. There, there's one for propellant mean bulk temperatures, what they call. It. So the the propellant inside of it is it's made out of the same stuff as your car tire. Okay, it's got aluminum powder and ammonium ammonium perchlorate is what it's called. But it's the binder is rubber. It's EPDM rubber. So it's you know if you took a car tire and you threw it out in snow, it's going to take a long time for that tire to get cold. It's a huge insulator. Right. Yeah. Right? So if you've got a million pounds of propellant, it can the outside temperature can go from 70 to 36, and it's not going to get cold. So that was the only temperature requirement. At the time, there wasn't one for um, O-rings.
0: Right. And
1: So it's a have, trick question, right? When he goes, is yeah. it out of spec? No, it's not out of spec, but there isn't one. Right. So.
0: Do you have any key uh, sort of takeaways or learnings from what happened with Challenger?
1: Yeah, it's, it's, yeah, I know, I don't, you know, it is, and now I'll, I'll get beat up for this one, but it's like, it was a 30 year experiment. All rockets are, I mean, they're, they're gigantic bombs you're trying to control. Now, if you want to make it super safe and put one astronaut in there with a backpack, you can make it a lot safer. But if you're going to put a 50,000 pound payload up there with six astronauts, you got to move some energy, right? So there's still a large safety margin on it, but you can't, on every single launch, always, any of the contractors, you're going to have a handful of engineers and say, no, don't do it. No, because they're being super conservative, right? And you like, okay, well, or like you're mixing propellant. I used to always get a call at two in the morning, mixer three went down. What do we, do? you know, I could always say to be safe, throw it in the pit and burn it and get rid of it. Well, if you do that on all the mixes, because Johnny's never used mixer four on Tuesday, Right. At who, and right, so you can come up with all this. What's called out of family is something very unique. So you can get too conservative that you never move forward at all. So the part mm-hmm. I didn't like, and I've been asked, you know, to go speak about how stupid management was and, how and all the stuff you've heard in the news, and it's like mm-hmm. that, that wasn't it. It's what I just described. Is you know, it, you're. I don't even want to say this on record, but I think if I remember right, the boosters had about twenty-two thousand defects on each launch on average. And you disposition them, you look at it and go, okay, that's out of spec here, but there's so much margin. Is it okay or do I throw it away, right? And after Challenger, right, for example, one of the NAS, senior NAS people said, got into statistics. He goes, I want a 99% reliability with a 98, no, it's like three nines, 999, I think it's four nines, four nines reliability. At a ninety-eight percent comp level on every part, and so all the contractors went and analyzed it. And I think it would cost more per launch to do that than all the money made in the country in a year. I mean, it was that many zeros. So it's like you can't do that. You, yeah. you can't make it that extreme. So no, I mean, I did. I obviously, I know a lot of people were the senior people that were made those decisions. You know, it's it's sad. And when I see stuff like Netflix, challenger final launch and just watch everyone screaming at how horrible we were and everything. It's like, no, and, and the astronauts, all of them know exactly what they're flying on. Right. I mean, they know it's not super, 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 super safe, and there's no risk whatsoever. So.
0: Hmm. Yeah. That's what, because one of the things I hear a lot is that uh, that criticism and it, whether it's challenge or just some other problem in some business is the criticism and the saying the people at the top didn't listen um or and i think yes sometimes it's true but i'm uh i try to be sort of curious enough to see is that actually true or is that just the easy thing to point the finger and go with that stereotype right
1: well, maybe one way to answer your question cuz this is and I try to teach this, this has bothered me a lot to try and like, what does the word safe mean? Is something safe? So every one of us use that every day. It's a very common term. And how many times you stop, think about what does it, what does that really mean? And if you look at the definition in Webster's or whatever, it'll say free from harm and risk or something, which is, that isn't true. So if, if somebody puts food in front of you at the restaurant, is it safe to eat it? You know damn well there's a probability that I'm gonna get food poisoning. I don't know how high it is, it depends where I'm at, right? My Mexico, it's probably higher, but right? It's, so it's not free from risk or harm. So my definition that I came up with, and I've used this a lot in business, so maybe that's an answer that, to your question is, my definition is the perceived benefits outweigh the perceived risks. Now, like in a negotiation, If you and I were talking about something, my perception isn't real and neither is yours. My perception of benefits are not real, perception of risk is not real, and you have your own opinion, right? So I teach that kind of in negotiations is the other person's gonna have completely different perceptions of benefits versus risks. And so you gotta look at that. Is there risk involved in launching a rocket? Yep. What's the perceived benefits? Put up satellites, do a whole bunch of stuff, get to explore space, make new things, right? We know it's not risk free and nothing is. How dare you breathe that air you just broke? You just breathed in. Was that risk free to take a breath? Yeah. Right? Yeah. No, right? Could be some gas and it killed you, right? Yeah. So it's like, yeah, but I think so. I've been okay for the hour we've been talking or whatever. I'm probably good for the next 15 seconds. Now I'm now Mark's got me thinking about it. So maybe I, you know, I've got to be nervous about breathing, right? But Every time I present that to people, like hmm, nobody's ever thought about it that way, but it helps a lot in negotiations yeah. or making a decision of is this the right thing to go do? I, I'm doing it with my device, right? Perceived benefits, I think, way out way the perceived risk. Is there some risks with it? Probably, but none of the research I show so shows that there's any side effects with it. So okay, go with it. All right? Yeah.
0: Wonderful. Um, just a final uh, question or topic to cover. I'm just interested in uh what you've found on crop formations uh, I know Crop saying,
1: formations. okay yes um this is where i'll really get attacked but
0: yeah, I, I think everyone gets attacked as soon as we start going down this path but i think there's so much change happening that soon those criticizing will be the ones who'll be like oh uh, crop yeah.
1: formations are so i've always been mildly interested in i'm not obsessed with them but um i was reading a book I want to say 2008 or 10 I've read I think I've read every crop formation researcher book that's in English right that I know of and I've met almost all of the authors and stuff but it um there's a a book called the source field investigations which is the strangest book I ever read from a guy named Wilcox okay it's almost like in the appendix at the back that he says Mm -hmm. Oh, i guess i gotta mention something about crop formations but i didn't want to talk about them too much and i'm like whoa the other 500 pages are way weirder than crop formations so there's a crop formation i did not have never seen before that and they're not circles okay formations that is spelling pi, 3.1415 right in the shape of a pizza okay you can go google it and see it so it's like and nobody discovered that to like two years after the crop formation was gone somebody goes is this spelling pie so that's got intelligence behind it i think right so and i'll explain what authentic is in a second but lucy pringle and michael glickman were two of the biggest researchers in england at the time And i go did you guys go into that formation and was it authentic meaning it not man-made and they went yep i go we've got to be so i go I'm going over there, gonna do my own research stuff. My wife told her boss, we're going to England for part of the summer to research crop formations. And her boss goes, you must really love him, right? (laughs) So we go over there and it's like, so I came up with from reading everyone else's books and research and stuff, checklist of like 15 things, I won't go through them all that are indicators that it's not man-made. The number one most obvious thing is when you make it by stomping on boards, it breaks the wheat, snaps it, okay, or the crop. If it's authentic, meaning not man-made, you'll see like the knuckles of the wheat will be inflamed, and they'll be bent like at 45 degrees, and it's laid down. It's not broken. If you don't step on it, it'll stand back up, okay. So right. that's that's point number one. Two is, um, <clears throat> and this is everyone says, "What did you say?" When I say it, I'm gonna say it again. 95% of crop formations are not man-made, about 5% are. And England still has about 50 months, we probably have hundreds of them in the United States, but nobody's looking for them, no one. There's only one and a half researchers, nine and a half. okay, and the other lady in New York, right? So nobody's flying around looking for them and stuff. And so, so there's that, there's evidence that the soil got up to 800 degrees centigrade without anything catching on fire. How do you know that? because it's turned the iron in the sand into BBs. So you can put your hand on the ground, there'll be BBs all over the place. Okay, It is freaky, it will sometimes fry cameras and cell phones and I've held my cell phone inside a circle with no signal, put two feet outside it and I have a circle or I have a signal on my phone, it fried my camera. And so you start getting into things like, okay, so let's just go with the other theory that it's they're all man-made and it's complete for okay. First of all, it's England. It's wet, it's nasty there. And where are all these people? There's there's only so many B and B's for them to live in, right? There's not where are they all at? And where's all the trucks and what's the motivation behind it? And you know, all the conspiracy theory. Oh, you yeah, they do that all the time. It's like, where are they? I mean, I'm there. You, there's no, and so there's been estimates of some formations that are ridiculously complex, like fifteen hundred circles in in a a chaos matrix that happened in 10 minutes. And they know that because it happened during the day by Stonehenge. And you can see it because it's on the hill. So you got all these tourists there. It wasn't there and then it's there. All right. Where are all those wow. people that did that? So the so the intrinsic motivation for that, and then it's amazing that the, the PR power that got behind this. Doug and Dave idiots, okay, in nineteen ninety, these two old dudes came out, and it was covered on all the news everywhere. And people still remember it. If you're my age, you're like, oh, Doug and Dave, these two guys, they mm-hmm. made them all. Mm-hmm. There's a there's a, a job or a news interview where they go, so you guys made both these crop formations mm-hmm. in Wiltshire last night. And they go, yep, both of them, yep. Did you make the one in Denmark last night, too? And they both look over at the producer on the news and goes, he's not allowed to ask us that, right? Because it's just lying. So there's that, and there's a, other indications and stuff. Bent nodes, it looks like it's been hit with microwave radiation. There's intelligence behind them, like I said. that is, And the ratios and mathematics are, some of them are insane. Um, uh, the intrinsic motivations of who's doing that, paying for it, how would you pull it off? And I get people go, ah, oh, f- those are all photos. I had this last time I presented. All those pictures are Photoshop to go, this was 1990. They have Photoshop. And then people go, everyone just use a GPS and they laid it out. Well, there's no GPS. GPS was around to like mid 90s, right? 94, 5, something like that. Yeah. Right? So I got that right. But so it, that to me is really interesting. Um, it's almost as interesting that nobody cares, right? So I have some smart friend, none of my rocket science friends will even listen to my presentation. It's like, they're like, I got soccer games to go to. I ain't got time for this. So it's it's interesting that you can't wrap your head around it so they just don't try, right? And, and, I, and people get very frustrated they don't have the answer. I'm like, I don't have all the answers. When I give my presentation, go it's about an hour and a half. I'll go, OK, eight minutes into this, you guys and be hitting your hand on the table getting mad at me, right? Because you're going to get frustrated. Just let me try and get through it all. And no, I don't have the answer at the end. I'm just presenting. Because I do it with the creative thinking stuff is like trying to tenderize your brain. Is instead of assuming it's all man-made and it can't be anything else, okay. I'm not saying it's aliens. I'm not saying I don't know what it is. But there's some really interesting stuff there. And I'm like... I have somebody that's like why who made this one last night it's me and my wife standing in this horrific rain with the umbrella destroyed and there's not another car around i'm like all right how do these guys where do they all go <laughs> <No>. <laughs> there should there should be a whole bunch of people here and there's not so yeah so yeah that, that's the interesting stuff there's one that's uh unfortunately the floodplain has gotten rid of it but there's one in the oregon desert that's like miles it's a Mandela that's monstrous in the dirt, hard hardpan dirt that's dug like eight inches deep, and there's no excavated dirt anywhere. And we know that happened overnight because the Air Force flies over it every day on training missions. The guy who took the pictures of it went, "This wasn't here yesterday. Now it's here." So Jake, wow. so they did estimates on that of like how many thousands of people would have taken months to do that, and. So anyway, it's more of a general comment is like there's a ton of stuff. That is why when I get the Facebook haters like this can't work. Well, okay. I last comment. So I used to teach at Los Alamos National Labs, right? Smartest nuclear physicist in the world. Right. I'm just a stupid chemical engineer trying to teach creative thinking. So I know they're gonna attack me. So I go in there, Hugo, Them. I don't introduce myself, nothing. I have a chart that says, you guys should be the most humble people in the world because, on average, through history, you're wrong every 12 years. I don't mean wrong, wrong. I mean dead wrong. So I go through the history of physics of how they're completely, completely wrong, and I go, everything actually half of you in here, which you worked on for your your thesis, your PhD thesis, is going to be completely obsolete in 10 years. And they just kind of slouch in their chair because you got to slap them a little bit, it's like keep an open mind. Don't immediately assume everything's what you think it is. I'm right, right? Because it's true you go through all these physics like no that isn't what you guys thought two decades ago you didn't think that yeah. here right
0: yeah it's uh yeah i I agree with that so much um <laughs> and, and yeah I, I really love that uh showing the track record um and yet people still vouch for uh the scientific method as a kind of um you know i think I, i've done to some extent but to sort of have that protect them. Be like, oh, it's a it's, uh, scientifically validated or science proves the same thing. Well, science has been wrong pretty much the whole way along at some point, so.
1: Yeah, we had that yeah. all the time on rocket tests and stuff. And there's no such thing as a eureka moment. It's usually, what the hell just happened? I tested something and it's supposed to do this and it didn't do that, right? It's almost like a yeah. life is a video, the world is a video game that's messing with you, right? Because that happens all the time. Anyone that's in the engineering world you run, knows you go run tests, I expect this to happen. Sometimes it does. Then something else, com- yeah, it's just no. some magic that uh, we don't understand the universe, right?
0: No. Well, I, I know a lot of the uh, sort of breakthroughs or ideas around neuroscience and all of that happened when they just happened to leave the device on someone's head and they just ending the thing and then something amazing happened. like, what just happened? Hang on, can we recreate that thing? And that has happened so many times. That's and I'm like, can you guys just put that on a random person and just do random stuff to see like what happens? <laughs> exactly. Um, <laughs> because that seems to be where all the breakthroughs come. Um, but uh, yeah, yeah. we we'll, might wrap that up there. Thank okay. you so much. Uh, this has been just absolutely wonderful talking with you and, and hearing about your sort of open-mindedness and all of these projects you're involved in. Um, if someone would like to find out more about you and Vibe, where can they find that? And I'll put all of the links in the description of the episode for everyone listening.
1: Okay, great, thank you. So it's Health, So like resonance, R-E-S-O-N-A.health forward slash uh, wise roots, your okay. podcast. And so the landing page, they can go learn about it. They can go into, you know, look at the PDF on it. They can go in the deepest rabbit hole they want to keep going further if they want to on the research and stuff. And then I we've got a $150 off coupon form and stuff if they want to try it.
0: Okay, wonderful. Thank you so much. Um, You're welcome. Thank lovely. you for
1: having me. Awesome. Appreciate it. Yeah, It's my bedtime now. <laughs> yeah.
0: <laughs> yeah, for people listening, it's late for him. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you for listening to Wise Roots. If you enjoyed this episode, please like, comment, subscribe, follow, or leave a review, and share this with someone who might enjoy it as well, because doing so helps more people find this podcast. To support this work, head over to the link in the description. There you'll also find my written pieces of content, offers, as well as a link to join the Wise Roots newsletter, which means that even if the platform on which you're listening to this decides to ban me, I'll be able to let you know where I've relocated to. Till next time, ciao, adios, au revoir.